I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another fine edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizel from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger, who's out in Vegas. How are you, Jesse? Doing great. How are you, Rob? I'm doing good. And of course, our new co-host for the season, Mike Russo out in Minnesota. How are you guys? I'm doing great. How are you? Glad you survived that hurricane, Rob. Uh, you know, it's so funny. Like, I uh, I have a picture of it. Actually, I got to send it to you guys. I was on the beach and this was after the hurricane. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? My, my wife's taking care of the two kids. They're building a nice sandcastle, everything else. And I'm going to listen to the podcast. And I hear you guys come in and Jesse admirably doing, you know, a great job hosting. I always say one of these days I'm going to get Wally pipped by Jesse Granger. And uh, I, I am paraphrasing here, but I was really touched when you said, um, you know, Rob Pizzo's out there and he, he's in the middle of a hurricane. But anyways, in NHL news, and I was like, oh, you guys, are, you guys are so concerned for my, for my health and Jesse, safety. Jesse might as well have just said, said, hey, uh, let's hope Rob's not playing around in the hurricane so I could take over as host of the show. Exactly. Like, it was just the best transition. Like, anyways, so PK Subban retired. Uh, let's move on to that. Uh, <laughs> so, no, we, we were there. It was day two for us that uh, we got told, you know, it's, it's going to happen at about 2 a.m. We woke up. Our resort was beat to shit. I'm not kidding. Like, massive, massive um, damage. Uh, the night before, we'd all, everyone had gone to the buffet and, like, grab muffins and stuff because we had a feeling we'd be stuck in our rooms and we were for the whole morning. But then after that, five straight days of sunshine and they, they cleaned it up and it was all good. And I listened to you guys and uh, it was it was a blast. So now it's now it's back to work. Well, from somebody that grew up in South Florida, I used to say that about hurricanes. Like, I don't know the science, but the, there's nothing nicer than the days after a hurricane. So I don't know if the hurricane just sucks up all the bad weather or whatever. But I just had a similar what Jesse did to you. I just did to Joe Smith. So Joe is getting smacked with a Category 5 Ian right now in, in Tampa before he moves here. And he actually was in Minnesota, changed his flight to fly back down there to get his house in order because he boarded up and everything. And today is Wednesday that we're recording this, of course, the Athletic Hockey Show Wednesday. And I sent him a uh, Slack. And I'm like, hey, uh, Joe, um, just an FYI. Uh, today is the day that we're supposed to get our final tabulations for this goalie tandem tier project they're working on. So, uh, you know, when the eye of the hurricane comes over your house, <laughs> if you still have internet, uh, make sure you get those into the file. And, uh, I don't think he, he, he thought it as funny as I did when I sent him that text. So. You were that guy, huh? You're like, uh, yeah, I, I know. Like I got the dark sense of humor. <laughs> 
anyways, back to work, back to talking hockey. I am, I'm a little darker, but uh, vacation is done. Um, so let's get into it, guys. Uh, topic number one, money, 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 money. Talking a little cash, talking a little salary cap, because according to a report uh, from Elliot Freeman and Roy Boylan that came out this week and pretty much jumped on by everybody, we have at least an estimate of what the salary cap could look like over the next three years. I'm going to give up the numbers that I want to hear your guys' opinions on on this and what immediately you thought of when you saw these numbers. Of course, we had the first increase for the first time in three years this year. So we know that this season's 82.5. For the 2023-24 season, it goes up to 83.5. Again, these are estimates. Then the next year, we get a big jump up to 88 million. And follow that, you got the 2025-2026 season. Approximately 92 million will be the salary cap, the first multi-million dollar jump in the salary cap since 2019. You're looking at about $10 million raise over the next three years. As I mentioned, I listened to the show last week, guys, on the beach, and I heard um, Russo and Gentile's talk with Bill Daly, who I agree with you, Jesse, on your reaction to that, painted a very optimistic financial story. That's what I took from that interview. And then this story comes out. So Jesse, we'll start with you. It's a lot of money thrown around and a lot of teams raising eyebrows who maybe have superstars to sign in the coming years. Well, what did you think when you saw this? Yeah, I mean, covering the Golden Knights, the first thing I thought was like, wow, like how hot they're probably going to be in the hundred now. I mean, right now, today, they are at 92.7 million. <laughs> their, their salary cap, if you count. Haven't all, they been over yeah. the cap since day yeah. one? Like yes. that team's never so, under the cap. So when, when you say, wow, it's going to get up to 92 million, I'm like, the Golden Knights are already there. Um <laughs> I can't imagine how high they're going to get it by the time it's up to that. But I mean, it's good. It's it's great for the league. It seems like like you you mentioned the superstars. To me, the superstars are getting their money. Um, even in this even in this period where the cap's not going up and all the teams are in cap trouble, it seems like the stars are still getting paid what they should be. Um, you just saw Nathan McKinnon. There have been plenty of others over the last couple of years that have gotten paid. To me, it's the the, the the older veterans like the Phil Kessel that just had to sign for one point five million dollars. Um, there were a lot of veterans that kind of lingered into UFA this season that weren't able to find contracts. I think those guys are going to start getting paid probably closer to what they should. Is is my initial reaction when I see it going up? Uh, great for everybody, pretty much. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I bet Nathan McKinnon was like, "You couldn't have announced this last week." <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Austin Matthews is like, thanks. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, look, I, as as you guys said, Bill Daly hasn't hidden the fact that things are, you know, uh, they're forecasting things and the recovery of this league financially after the pain that it dealt with throughout the uh, pandemic has been a lot faster than I even think that they projected in the league office. And so, um, you know, when he was on the podcast last week, as you guys said, he, he painted an optimistic picture and, um, you know, Elliot's put the numbers to that picture. And, and, uh, I know that the neighborhood is, is, uh, accurate and Elliot putting those numbers, you know, it's completely accurate. So I think that's really good. It's good for teams that, you know, might, um, let's just say teams that might have 12 to 14 to $15 million worth of dead money in those upcoming years as well. I bet they wish that that cap went higher, uh, sooner, but I think it just allows, um, you know, one, the agents are going to be happy, but it just allows now teams to feel like they can, you know, not, you know, trade Max Pacioretty's for zero, um, you know, Sean Monahan's for nothing and give away first round picks. That still stuff is, is obviously going to still exist in problematic things. But I think when, when you see so many teams sandwiched against the cap right now, it's, it's, it is a scary thing and, and you don't want to be giving players away for nothing. Uh, you know, we've, these teams have dealt with a couple of expansion drafts here in the last four years where they've lost significant assets for nothing. Then you, um, you add in the salary cap issues here and um, there are certain teams that have been unbelievably affected by um, the cap crunch and then expansion. And I think this gives them a little bit of a breathing room now. Yeah. And when I said superstars, obviously, the, I agree with you, Jesse, they're going to get paid. But I'm talking about teams who are looking to keep their player and keep them from bolting. You know what I mean? That also gives them the leeway. You know, Russo alluded to Austin Matthews, who becomes a free agent in two years. I live just outside of Toronto. There's not a day that goes by that someone is not talking about whether Austin Matthews is going to bolt or not. I mean, anytime you get more ammo to keep a heart trophy winner, you've got to figure that's that's a good thing for 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 certain teams, right? Right. And and there are teams like Colorado, you saw them. They they were they had so much cap space and suddenly it's gone. Kale McCarr gets paid, McKinney gets paid. They've they've got 
hardly any cast. I mean, it's tough to maintain. You saw Tampa lose a ton of their players. So yeah, I agree. It's definitely going to... These GMs, when they sign these deals, like I, I remember talking to George McPhee just off air about it. And it's like, they got into such cap trouble so quick. And he's like, yeah, when we signed half these deals, the, we didn't expect the pandemic to to cut to to keep the cap flat for three years. Like you're projecting every one of these deals you sign, you're projecting to have X amount halfway through this deal at the end of this deal. And when suddenly, which is crazy oh, though, isn't it? Isn't that nuts? Like that you almost have to to guess. And it, it, it is kill you. But it's but it's also been fairly projectable up until the pandemic. I mean, when, when the world shut down and we were all locked in our houses, it screwed up those projections. But prior to that, and now we're looking at, I mean, it looks like we're back to projecting it accurately. We'll see how it goes over the next few years. But yeah, it's, I mean, these GMs are projecting this raise every year when they sign these contracts. When suddenly it doesn't go up, they're in a lot more trouble than they thought they'd be in. Just looking at some of the teams, like for me, I look David Pasternak comes UFA after this season. How's that going to affect him? We mentioned Austin Matthews, Stamkos after two more years. And then the summer of 2025, you got Victor Hedman, Leon Dreisaitl, Mitch Marner, and Sidney Crosby up for new deals. So this is this is information GMs uh, sorely need after that crazy pandemic uh, time that you, that you talked about where, well, let's face it, the revenue split went all wacky. So uh, we're going to see over the next few years where that money gets spent. Uh, we got this next segment in our fantastic producer, Jeff Domet, <laughs> labeled appropriately walking wounded. Guys, we've got, we haven't started the NHL season yet. And we're talking about so many key injuries. Jesse, I don't know if you have any, um, experience in dealing with injuries after covering the Golden Knights last year, but <laughs> you know, we got some yeah. big names. Let's go through a couple of the top ones and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how this affects, you know, each team, but. Uh, news out of Toronto, John Tavares out for the start of the season with an oblique injury, at least three weeks, could see him missing four games. They started last year without Austin Matthews. Um, you got to figure your second line center is gone. Where do you, what do you do? Is it Kerfoot that slips in there? But uh, it seems like this team can't start without one of their, their top line centers. Russo, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, we're looking at Landis, Scott, Besser, Couturier. Um, I was texting with Chuck Fletcher today, and he's already inundated with Katori and Ellis. I mean, obviously, Max Pacioretty uh, before camp even starts uh, um, ruptures Achilles. But it is. I mean, this is this league right now. It's, uh, you know, it just injuries happen. Right. And the good news is that it happens now. A guy like Besser, who just cannot catch a break. It's such a shame. Um, you know, at least it looks like he'll be back in a month. So, you know, maybe a week, week, two weeks into the season. Um, but it is uh, it's it's alarming. A lot of these teams like Philadelphia just feel like on a, on a year that they've got to get back on track and put all of last year's, um, you know, unbelievable turmoil behind them where at the end of the year they were basically without like seven centers and hardly field a team. They go into this year and they already have issues with Ellis and Couturier, two of their most important players. So. Um, it's a shame here in Minnesota, the Wilder without Greenway to start the year and things like that. And, you know, the biggest thing now is that guys that are going for these spots, they need to take advantage of these situations. And so now suddenly doors open for a lot of players. Yeah. You know what I think they should do in Philadelphia is bag skate their players to death. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who's going to do that there. Uh, and Jesse Vegas, I mean, no Nolan Patrick, no Robin Leonard for the entire year. Shea Weber. I mean, duh. But uh, I mean, it, do you ever go through a week of your job where you're not dealing with somebody getting hurt? Yeah. I mean, they, their, their preseason opener, they had William Carrier go out with an injury and he hasn't practiced since. So uh, yeah, it's kind of just taken off right where last season ended for Nolan Patrick, man, it really sucks to see for that kid. I mean, it's he, he just for anyone listening that hasn't been keeping up on it. It's, this is not a new injury. This is, he got, Another and they haven't said concussion, but we we have to believe it is a concussion. It was an upper body injury um, that held him out of last year. During the offseason, Kelly McCrimmon basically said, right now we're focused on getting him back to normal life. This is not even hockey right now. We're not even to the point where hockey is considered. We're just trying to have him be okay. And they've already ruled him out for the entire uh, 2022-23 season. So that just tells you how bleak things are. Um, really feel for that kid who just cannot, like M Michael said about Besser not catching a break. I mean, Nolan Patrick, number two overall pick. We all kind of knew he had injury concerns coming into the draft, but not to this extent. Um, at this point, it uh, if, if he can just get back on the ice at any point in his life, it would be, it'd be awesome. Um, really feel for Nolan Patrick. 
You mentioned Landeskog too. I mean, he missed a chunk of the the end of the last season, comes back, helps his team win the Stanley Cup, and now he's going to miss the beginning of the season. I mean, I, I don't recall this many key injuries, we'll call them that, and, and lengthy injuries going into a season. Like it just it just seems strange to me. Yeah, I mean, um, well, even just, you know, Pacioretty, uh, you know, uh, he gets traded there for nothing. And then Carolina is, you know, you know, jumping for joy that they get this guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets hurt training. And so, um, but you're right. I mean, this this is just the league that they're in now. And, um, and you know, again, it allows some teams to maybe there is some relief, you know, like a team like Philadelphia, who is pretty much ready right at the cap. Now they're going to get LTI relief. And so there are there is some relief out there for some of these teams that that might have been close to the cap to get out there. But it doesn't you know, when you when you're starting a season without, you know, Besser and Tavares and Landeskog, guys that you've plugged in to made, play key roles, a Couturier, um, and then they have this issue. And Chuck Fletcher, this Couturier thing, it sounds like an absolute blueprint of what Chuck Fletcher dealt with here in Zach with Zach Parisi and the one thing that I know if it's the same type of back injury is that you know you could rehab it all you want naturally but eventually you're probably you know you can only have so many cortisone shots but eventually you're probably going to have to have um you know a back surgery a microdiscectomy and and you know Parisi in the wild tried to put it off for as long as they possibly could and eventually they just figured all right we better get it done and it sounds like Couturier is uh, going down that same path where they're like hey we'll we'll reevaluate them in six weeks or something like that and usually yeah things will calm down but eventually in a physical sport like this you're going to get it again we're going to see practices just full of the no contact jerseys like everyone just wear the red jerseys just so we could start the season. It's pretty it's pretty crazy. Sorry, go ahead, Jesse. They should do it like like football where they just, you know, have no pad days. Just go yeah. out there and just like just the helmet, just I, which I never really yeah. understood, but yeah. Yeah. No, I was just saying that back that back situation sounds like what Mark Stone is dealing with here in Vegas. I mean, he was he was trying to rehab it for a year and a half, maybe longer, and it just kept happening. And he he described it as electric shocks going through his back, through his body was what he would feel, and he would just lock up. And he'd finally had the the back surgery this off season. He's been in a red shirt. Uh, he finally got out of the red jersey uh, the other day, so he's finally back in a regular jersey, and he's hoping to play some preseason games. So that's good for Mark. But uh, yeah, it's even and he was even mentioned. I didn't realize this, but he's like, yeah. So it's it's putting pressure on the nerve in your back, and even after you remove that pressure. It takes up to a year for that nerve, the inflammation in that nerve to just go back to normal. So like you, even after the surgery, you still feel it for however long. You don't have the, the sharp pains, but backs in hockey, it's just brutal. Backs, I, and I'm, I'm certainly not trying to put myself in the same category as an NHL player, but I had a bulging disc pressing up against the nerve of my back years ago, and I couldn't move. Like I yeah. literally could not. And, and I remember thinking there were times where I'm like, if this place is, if my house is on fire, I'm going to die because I can't get out of bed. And I couldn't imagine hearing, you know, athletes actually playing through that kind of pain, which is. Yeah, you should see. I should find it. I, I wrote a story for The Athletic years ago on what Parisi was dealing with, and it was it was unbelievable. I mean, you know, we all look at him like, all right, they can't play hockey. This was affecting their life. I mean, Parisi used to have to go to dinner uh, laying down in the back of his SUV while his wa- wife drove, uh, you know, things like that. And. And, you know, the back, I mean, everybody knows, I mean, you know, w- the pain that it causes, not just in the back. I mean, you know, like Parisi's left leg, um, you know, if I remember correctly, was absolutely like debilitated. You know, like it's just amazing uh, what, what these guys put their bodies through. And unfortunately, uh, you know, some, some injuries like Besser, it, you know, it's unlucky. And then there are other injuries that just add up. Uh, you know, I'm a member of a I got to be careful. I'm a member of a, uh, I'll just say I'm a member of a cigar club in downtown Minneapolis. And there's a couple of Viking players that are blonde there. And just watching these young guys get up out of a chair. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and these are young, young professional athletes and they walk like they're 80 years old. It's, it's crazy what these players put themselves through. And that's, you know, such a short time frame that you are a professional athlete and that's why they want to get their money because they, this is, if you can get out of whatever physical sport you play and, and have a good quality of life, that's a good thing. Um, let's move on. Continuing the Athletic Hockey Show's run of 10 biggest storylines or questions going into this season. We've been doing it all week. And it's our turn, guys. And um, we're going to talk about the Golden Knights. I mean, who better to talk about the Golden Knights, the man who covers them all the time, Mike Russo. 
Uh, no, the, the, the <laughs> no, double, that's just the team I wish I covered. Yeah. The, the, so it's a two pronged question, Jesse. We're obviously starting with you here. Um, can Vegas win with Jack Eichel and their current goaltending situation? Let's start with goaltending. Obviously, Robin Leonard gone for the year. Is this a tandem that could bring them at least back to the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, so I'm skeptical of the goalies initially to start. Obviously, they've got three guys. Uh, Logan Thompson, who played the last 10 or so games last year and played really, really well. Like He played well enough to get them into the playoffs. Logan Thompson was excellent at the end of the season. Um, the team couldn't score a shootout goal. I think he stopped like 14 in a row and the team could not score a shootout goal. Otherwise, they're in the playoffs. Um, but that's an incredibly small sample size for a guy who was undrafted, was basically nowhere close to being a professional hockey player three years ago. He he gets a chance. He's the AHL goalie of the year. That shows you that he, he dominated at that level. He came to the NHL. He looked good. With goalies, you're always skeptical of, can he do it every night? Can he be the guy? Um, that's a huge step from just coming in and playing a few games to being the guy. And he's got competition with Aiden Hill, who's Another young-ish goalie who hasn't really panned out, but he's also played behind two horrid defenses in Arizona and San Jose. And to me, I think it's it's wrong to judge a goalie and say he can't play in this league after playing behind two defenses that are just abysmal. So, um, and, and then you've got Laurent Bersois, who's currently not competing for the job because he had off-season surgery, just like Leonard, but he is expected to be back at some point. So the Golden Knights have... The good news is they have three guys who I think... Maybe one of them can't be good enough all season, but I think if you kind of mix and match and play the guy who's hot, I think you can get league average goaltending, maybe slightly above if things break right for them. Um, it's going to be up to Bruce Cassidy picking which goalies to be right. It's not an easy spot to be in, but I did talk to him about last year in Boston. They had a similar situation. Tuka Rask was the guy there and they had had veteran goaltending forever, just like Vegas has. He goes out, you have Swayman and Olmark, two guys who have not been proven as number one guys. And, and Cassidy basically said, yeah, it reminds me a lot of, of the situation we had in Boston. And last year, if you look at the goaltending stats, the Bruins were 22nd in the league. Not good. They allowed the fourth fewest goals in the league because Cassidy's defensive system is super goalie friendly. It makes the, the their job easier. So I do think that while they didn't hire Cassidy to fix this mess because they weren't even sure Leonard was going to be hurt when when Cassidy when they hired him, it seems like they hired the right guy to to deal with this type of goaltending. So I'm skeptical on the goalies themselves, but when you look at the situation as a whole, I think the Golden Knights can survive the goaltending. And the second part of the question is: Can Jack Eichel be the man? Given what you've seen, I, I mean, when when the trade happened, obviously the question mark wasn't you know, whether he has the ability to to be Jack Eichel was whether or not he could get back and how quickly he can get back after the surgery. But is this a guy who could lead this team? Yeah. Last so last year, I'm I'm much more optimistic on Eichel than I am the goalies. I I am beating this drum. Jack Eichel is going to be a superstar this year. Um we'll see if I'm right, but Last year, he looked good. He looked, he was the best player on the ice most nights, and he was playing with 11 months. He hadn't played hockey in 11 months. He was playing on a new team for the first time in his career in a new system with a broken thumb. He broke his thumb blocking a shot, couldn't even take face-offs, and he was still the best player on the ice through all that. Through camp, he is, I mean, on another level. He looks incredible. He played, he made his preseason debut the other night. I know it's preseason, but he was going against the Kings top line of Kopitar and Fiala. Like he was going against legit NHL competition. And Eichel looked like he was playing against children. Um, he is so fast. He goes around the defenseman whenever he feels like it. Um, his release, we've all seen it in Buffalo. His wrist shot is just incredible. The release is otherworldly, I think is the tweet I sent after he scored his goal. Um, he is ready to have a huge year. Now, Bruce Cassidy has basically said, look, we know the offense is there. I don't even have to tell him anything in the offensive zone. That all comes natural. He's going to score a ridiculous amount of goals. He's a playmaker. He's going to do all those things. What Cassidy wants to do is he's like, you know what? You can have individual success without it leading to team success. Uh, we saw that in Buffalo with Jack Eichel, and he believes that he can get Eichel's game to where the, the individual success goes along with the team's success and leads to the team's success. We don't know. We've never seen Jack Eichel do that. Um, we've never seen him play meaningful games at the end of the season. We've never seen him play in the playoffs. So I think it, that's a big challenge for Bruce Cassidy. He's a guy who has worked with plenty of forwards who have some of the best 200-foot games in the league. Um, I don't know if you can give Cassidy credit for that. Bergeron and Marshan and those guys were already that. But 
Um, he knows what it looks like on the ice. So I think it's a big challenge for Cassidy to get Eichel playing a 200-foot game, back-checking, doing all the things that, that make you an elite player in this league, not just scoring goals. That's going to be the challenge for Eichel. But like I said, it's early. We've only seen a little bit, but man, I've been so impressed with Jack Eichel. He looks like he can be one of the best players in the NHL. Hey, Jesse, I have just one question. You mentioned the $92 million that they're at right now. Um, you know, what are the, what are the plans here in the next two weeks to uh, become cap compliant? Spend more money. They're the Golden Knights. That's what they do. They see something <laughs> shiny and they buy it. There's your answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the funny thing is they actually have $4 million to spend right now if they wanted to, um, even though they're at $92 million because they've, they obviously acquired the Shea Weber contract from Montreal, knowing that that would go on on the LTIR. Uh, that's a huge chunk. Uh, Robin Leonard's $5 million is obviously not going to count against the cap. Nolan Patrick's $1.2 million is not going to count against the cap. So if, if you subtract all the LTIR, they actually have about $4 million to spend. The big issue right now is uh, one of the RFAs that is still unsigned is Nicholas Haig. Um, he played top pairing minutes for this team. I don't think he's going to play that this year. He'll probably go back down the lineup now that the injuries have kind of settled and Alec Martinez is back and Bray McNabb's back. But um, he's a big piece to this team. They still need to get him signed. I think he's probably going to cost about $2 million, So that'll take up about half of that that space that they've got left. But uh, he has not. He's, he's not practicing with the team. He's all the way up in Canada practicing with Kitchener right now. Um, nowhere near Vegas. So that's not a good sign for the Golden Knights. Obviously, Cassidy's installing all his new systems. So Haig's missing out on all that. Um, that's kind of the biggest question in camp right now is, are they going to get him in here by the time the regular season starts? And are they going to get him in time to get him up to speed so he can play on opening night? Great casinos uh, near, near Kitchener, though. <laughs> yeah, Just saying. Quickly back to Eichel. Your first half of the explanation had me clicking on my sports book over seventy one and a half points. Your second half, without talking about playing that two hundred foot game, made me wonder: Are you going over or under seventy one and a half points? Way over, way over. I think way he's over. I think he. I think Eichel's closer to a hundred than he is to seventy one. Wow. Okay. Well, everybody, get on your sports books. Click away. Jack Eichel over 71 and a half points. So that is our continuing look at the biggest storylines going into the season. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk Winnipeg Jets, guys. Murat Atash is going to be joining us to talk about Blake Wheeler's captaincy that was stripped to talk about their maybe lack of action in the offseason and what we can expect from Rick Bonus. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So as anyone who follows hockey knows, it's been an absolutely bananas offseason. Um, just trying to keep up with who's gone where has been a job in itself. Uh, unless you follow the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I expected a lot of craziness in this offseason. Yes, they've got a brand new coach and there's plenty to talk about, but it's pretty much the same team we're going to see on opening day that we saw at the end of last season. So to sort through what happened in the offseason or what didn't. Murat Atash is joining us, who, of course, covers the team for The Athletic. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Good morning. Good good day, everybody. Good day to you. So, so maybe let's just start right there. I mean, yes, you've got Rick Bonus behind the bench. Yes, Sam Gagne signed with the team. But uh, are you with me? Are you a little surprised, given what we saw at the end of last season, what players were saying at the end of last season, well, that it kind of remained status quo? There was a, a real evolution of emotions, I think, in, in Winnipeg land over the course of the offseason. From the moment you had Mark Scheifele sort of openly questioning his future with the team, while also saying that he loved Winnipeg uh, at the exit interviews uh, on May 1st, I believe it was, there was a sense that there was going to be something transformative. And then it never happened, clearly. So the question is, you start to investigate why. And I think that for all of Scheifele's frustration... That was, a, that was a transitional move you cannot make if you're the Winnipeg Jets if you don't have Pierre-Luc Dubois locked down. So then they got into the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation, which was a bit of a purgatory of, will we be able to sign him long term? Eventually, he takes his qualifying offer for just one year. He could be an unrestricted free agent as soon as two years from now, too. So you can't move on from Shifley. 
I think that they mended the relationships that they needed to mend and they had the conversations that they needed to have. Um, and from that point, the other transformative change was supposed to be uh, a trade of the captain. Uh, Blake Wheeler, for the first time, seemed to be open to the end of his relationship with the Winnipeg Jets. And Winnipeg seemed to be open to the end of that relationship as well, with a lot of respect, but just a sense that his time as the leader in Winnipeg had come. But the sense I get is they poked around and went shopping just a little bit. Um, you know, when you have Max Pacioretty, who's a younger, cheaper player with one year left on his deal, instead of 8.25 million that Wheeler has, has two years left on his deal, going for just about nothing for future considerations, right? Um, that became a tough market. And then all of a sudden, Winnipeg has all these competing priorities. They're not able to get what they want back. They're not able to solidify their center group for the long term. And the hiring of Rick Bonus allows some of those relationships to be patched. I think it's a little bit underwhelming on paper, to be sure. Um, but that's the best I can do to suss out why nothing. Explain the defense to me, why there's eight veterans with uh, no waivers exemption and two young players like Ville Hainala and, and Dylan Sandberg still competing for jobs. That one I can't do. I think that there's uh, there's some tension there. But uh, that's how I can lay it out for you as far as I can. Marat, how, how do you think that that Blake is really handling this um, because it had to be just, um, you know, a, a, a gut punch to walk in that room and, and have this happen. And obviously they put on the, the great face and did the dual press conference, but deep down, what do you think is going to be the repercussions of all of this? Yeah. To lose the captaincy has to hurt. There, there's no way around that. Um, I, I just don't believe that that's not a significant emotional blow. Um, on the day of the press conferences that Rick Bonus and Blake Wheeler had, my goodness, I thought Wheeler handled that with class because he knows he's going into a situation surrounded by microphones. And what other job is there? If one of us gets demoted, nobody's giving a press conference tomorrow, right? Like that's <laughs> so he has to go and speak to that. And I thought he handled himself so well. Um, I thought he handled himself so well. He answered reporters' questions. He obviously wasn't opening up and expanding on absolutely every detail or anything to that effect, but his mood was good. So then you look for signs at camp and what I've seen so far is the same old competitive wheeler that we've always seen. You know, what's happening behind closed doors? I can't speak to at this stage. He's battling. He's one of the veteran players. He's notoriously a slow starter. So, uh, you know, even if he comes out of the gate a little bit slow, I don't think you could really tie it to the, the stripping of captaincy. The one thing that I'll say, of course, is he's done a lot less media since then. He hasn't been uh, available to us. And I think that he's going to be a little bit quiet for a while. But as as um, the transition sinks in, um, but I think deep down that this is going to be something that's going to follow him around. And every time he goes Mike to Minnesota or Jesse when he's in Vegas, like that's going to be the questions from the outside markets too, right? Like, how's it going? Uh, if it's going well, that's going to be the story. If the season is going horribly, that's going to be a story as well. And I think that that's going to be a source of tension until uh, until perhaps he's he's moved to maybe midseason or offseason or in, into the future. I, I know it's early, so you, you haven't seen him on the ice a ton, but I'm curious, like as Rob mentioned, there aren't a lot of roster changes, but when you change a coach, their systems are going to be different. What, what, what do you expect to look different in, in Winnipeg this year? Yeah, Rick Bonus has been good on that front. Really, there's been a sense of teaching from day one. You know, I do these camp reports where I actually get into the drills a little bit because you can tell that there's a sense of organization in Winnipeg that's been missing. And at the end of last season, when all the players were questioning, hey, we don't necessarily play for each other all the time. You know, um, there's conversations about neutral zone systems and four checks that nobody's committing to. It was a problem. It was a definite problem. And to get there on day one of camp and Rick Bonus has um, is talking about the video packages he sent out a few days ago, the video session they did this morning, um, and drills after drill after drill, where you can see him building a legitimate structure of in, in on day one, it was a two one two four check. Um, you know, on day two it was the defensive zone. There's a lot of teaching going on. Drills get interrupted uh, for corrections. Bonus looks like a professor in front of the whiteboard, but then starts screaming midway through the drill. And overall, you see a sense of structure in Winnipeg's game that was missing at the end of last season. I mean, it hasn't completely translated into the exhibition games, which is a concern. But early returns in terms of what's being taught, how players say that they're receiving it, and just how organized things look. I'm, I'm modestly optimistic for how the coaching impact goes. Well, that being said, X's and O's aside, you know, he did allude to the fact that 
you've got to change the culture in the room if you want this thing to turn around. It feels like just yesterday, Paul Maurice was in front of a microphone saying about 50 times, they need a different voice. Uh, what do you expect on that front? I mean, what do you expect needs to be maybe repaired that we're not seeing, you know, in the dressing room that Rick Bonus is the man who's going to do it? Yeah, it's that's a, a terrific question. And really, if there's an improvement that coaching has, you know, on the ice, that'll be one thing. But off the ice, you're hoping that Winnipeg does everything that it needs to do. I think changing the captaincy or stripping the captaincy from Wheeler was part of that. It was my sense that he was a little bit of an island, perhaps along with Paul Stastny last year from some of Winnipeg's other players. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's something that we can't see. I'm not in the room for that situation, but that's kind of the sense that uh, we've gotten. Um, there's the opportunity for younger players, core players to step forward, perhaps have, you know, a couple more players with A's on their jerseys this year. That will be part of it in terms of shifting whose voice is most prominent to that core aged, that group of players, the Kyle Connors, the Nikolai Ehlers, Adam Lowry is going to step into that, Josh Morrissey, Mark Shifley's had a great attitude so far as well. And I think that's the hope. Um, but there's also a sense of accountability that was missing last year, where veteran players, and I'd put Shifley here, I'd put Blake Wheeler here as well, they could have the minute-long shift, they could make the turnover, they could get scored on, and they were still power play one, they were leading the team in ice time. You look around the league at how coaches handle their minutes, and other than Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, almost no superstars are playing above 20. Almost no fourth lines are playing as far below 10 as the Winnipeg Jets ran last year. And so they continue to go back to Shifley, especially um, Connor as well, Blake Wheeler, time and time again without consequence for minutes. Last night, um, after Winnipeg beat Ottawa 5-3, Rick Bonus called out the veterans, saying we can't be taking 55-second shifts. 55 was an interesting number choice. Um, and you look at the average shift length, and Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, and Mark Scheifele are at a minute last night. And Rick Bonus is calling that out, saying that veterans have to be the solution. They have to be the ones teaching younger players the right way to play. We haven't heard that kind of talk in Winnipeg for an awfully long time. So I think those are the sorts of things that he's going to try to lean on. I'm always fascinated, Murat, about, uh, you know, Connor Hellebeck and, and not just because he scares the crap out of me every time I see him, like, doing his tennis ball <laughs> exercise, walking around MTS Center or, uh, or um, what is it? It's not MTS, is it? It's still MTS? Canada Life Center now. Oh, there we go. Um, or XL Energy Center. There's nothing like watching him do that, uh, you know, his eyes and his exercise and things like that. But, you know, I'm always fascinated by him because statistically... It's like he either has a great year and he alternates it with, a you know, either a average or subpar year. Um, and now he's, you know, what, two, three years removed from his Vesna. Um, what do you expect from him after last year? What I think most people would consider, you know, a down year, almost a three goals against and a, what about a nine, 10 save percentage? Yeah, those numbers are ugly by Connor Hellebuckian standards. And there's no real way around that. You can get into shot quality, which I like, you know, number of chances given up from the slot, all that stuff, expected goals. And you can still see Connor Hellebuck saving more than he should. But he did that two years ago with better numbers. And he did that three years ago in the Vesna Trophy winning season with spectacular numbers. So there's a sense that there's a higher level for him to be at and get to. I think by the end of last season, he looked fatigued as well. Winnipeg just had to play Eric Comrie three more times to hold on to his rights, so he's not signing a UFA deal in Buffalo. Um, and they didn't do that. They were so desperate for the points that might lead to a playoff spot that they went, went with the veteran, and it didn't have good results. It really didn't. That was a down year for Connor Hellebuck. So far at camp, um, you know, I am not a goalie scout. Goalies and small samples, all that stuff, right? You can see somebody look great for a short period of time, and you're not sure. I think Connor Hellebuck has been dialed in. This is a, a really elevated version of Hellebuck from the end of last season. He doesn't have any competition whatsoever because David Riddick has not looked nearly as good and certainly is coming off of a couple of down years. Uh, I think this is still his crease to run with, and I think he'll have a great season. I just worry about what if they exhaust him all over again. This can't be something a goalie does over and over and over again when they depend on him so much. I, I first off, Hellebuckian standards is one of the greatest things. It just I, we love doing that with names. It usually doesn't work, but Hellebuckian works just perfectly. Now go ahead, Jesse. I had to slip that in there. Phenomenal, phenomenal. I totally agree with you that he he looked tired at the end of last season. To me, it reminds me of 
Montreal, Carey Price, that team was bad in front of him and he held it together for a couple of years. And then he fell apart for a little bit until they got the team better. It's happened to Gibson in Anaheim too. So my question is the defense. You mentioned they've got eight NHL guys and they've got some young guys. Like how much the, the defense was bottom 10 in basically every stat you can you can look at last year. To me, if they can just get a little better and just be close to league average, then you can really see Hellebuck be himself. What do you think the odds of that are? I mean, I was optimistic last year when they added Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon. I thought the personnel improvements would do a lot. And then by the end of last season, you saw that, well, defense is a team stat. And if not all five guys on the ice are committed to the jobs that they're supposed to do, it doesn't work. And Winnipeg didn't get spectacular seasons from those two players. Josh Morrissey had a wonderful season last year. Neil Pionk took a step back, I would say. But the biggest story to me was how poorly the forwards defended, how unwilling they were to track back, um, to do the little things at either blue line that stop a team from having to play in its own zone, or even Mark Shifley, the superstar. You saw in our top 100 rankings, NHL executives are souring on him now that um, this, the offense is clearly spectacular, but people don't trust his defense. Um, there's an issue team-wide in terms of how committed they were. I think the hope in Winnipeg First of all, Rick Bonus is known as a, a defense-first coach. Uh, I've talked to some fans in Dallas uh, who think that it was all defense, no offense last year, and all of those sorts of things. So that's one of the bets Winnipeg is making. Personnel will largely be the same unless Dylan Samberg can take a job from perhaps Lo Logan Stanley might be somebody who moves from the top six to just outside. Um, but the hope, it really is hope at this point, is that a rising tide will float all boats if everyone actually does what Rick Bonus asks, um, then you get a little bit better results in terms of shot quality against uh, as a team stat. How optimistic am I? Look at practice. I'm very optimistic. The teaching has been great. Look at these first two games of exhibition, which as we all know, people are figuring things out. Not optimistic at all. They still have a long ways to grow this Winnipeg Jets team. You know what makes me kind of nauseous looking at this Winnipeg Jets roster? <laughs> that I, I covered... Two of the players' dads. Come on. Oh, yeah. I covered you're Dave aging Lowry. Yourself, I, Rizzo. <laughs> I, I covered Dave Lowry and I covered Dave Gagne. Two and Daves. it feels like Adam Lowry and Sam Gagne have been in the league forever. And I covered their fathers. And that, I don't know. I just had to throw that in there because it's just pissing me off as I'm looking <laughs> at their roster. <laughs> oh, no, Mike. I used, to, I used to consider myself young and good looking like Marat. And now I'm just like, uh, you know, just an old dinosaur that's covered this league for too long. No, no, you don't say old. You say veteran. That's the yeah, way to I'm get right. around it. And then that's, suddenly that's you gain way all, of this, all this respect. Yeah. And speaking of veteran, uh, Sam Gagne, you mentioned his dad, but I'm going to ask him <laughs> Sam Gagne. Uh, the signing. Um, the only one really in the offseason. But, you know, we talked about the, the culture and everything in the room. What's someone like him bring to maybe kind of help this thing go in the right direction? I've been so impressed by him. You know, certainly uh, not expected to have that top six type of impact. He's not going to have the role even that Paul Stastny did a year ago in terms of how important he is on the ice. But he does have that sort of, I've seen it all, um, not, in a, not in an I'm done with this sort of way, but in an appreciative way. And it's tough to throw this guy away um, attitude about him so far. He's had one scrum with media so far where he just showed such appreciation for the opportunity to be there. He wasn't talking as if his job was carved in stone, even though on Winnipeg's roster, it, it kind of is. Um, there is a real sense of humility and appreciation that I think stood out in him and reminds me of that Paul Stastny kind of impact. Or maybe he should have more of an impact than Matt Hendricks did on the offensive categories a, a couple of years ago. But Winnipeg brings these guys in. At the end of every summer, there's a veteran that you can count on being signed. And if you compare with Hendricks or Mark Letestu or Riley Nash or Nate Thompson, all of these veterans who are good in the room, so to speak, I think Gagne will have a little bit more of an impact on the ice. And that's that's going to be something that Rick Bonus will need because Winnipeg played its fourth line about six minutes per night last year. They're going to need to be able to trust people on and off the ice in that situation. And early returns on Sam Gagne, or he can be exactly that guy plus a little bit of special teams too. Murad, I'm doing a podcast tonight with Ben Hankinson. If you had to throw one question that you want to know about Dustin Bufflin at him, what would I throw him? Wow. I mean, you know... Where'd he go? 
<laughs> Where did he go? What's the story? Can I sit down? I with told him? you, I saw him in December. What? So what was he doing in December? Hunting, fishing? He was, did you I go? was at Justin Morneau's house doing that uh, like outdoor game thing that Justin Morneau and, and Joe Maurer do with uh, hockey players. And Buff shows up on a on a four wheeler wearing like coveralls, the most <laughs> like ridiculous gloves ever. And he starts just making a fire. It was as chill as could be and oh. just was there to watch. What a beauty. I he mean, he was like next door to Morneau. I miss that guy. So any any preface that you can have, just just share that his impact has been missed on on the ice, especially. And then off the ice, he, I, you know, he didn't do a ton of media, but he was still great in it. I just want to know what happened down the stretch heading into St. Louis. That Jets team fell apart. And I think Bufflin's injury is a is something you can point to. I wonder how healthy that foot was when he came back, played in the playoffs, banked a goal off of Jordan, Jordan Bennington's head from the goal line. Like he was doing buff stuff right to the end. So, I mean, why why did it end? Why did he leave Winnipeg? What uh, how did how did we have an impact if in any way? Is it something I said? <laughs> like just help me out. <laughs> I'm always I'm I'm always fascinated by the players that just, you know, they play they have these great careers and they're, you know, all the fanfare and deal with media all the time and then they they're just so content and willing to just fall off the face of the earth and not ever do a closing press conference i i can't even convey to you how often i have begged danny heatley to let me sit down with him in manhattan beach when we're out there and he always writes me back like super super polite about it but he's like i have i've just no interest right now and uh you know it's just i'm always amazed that the the players are just like you know what i'm i'm cool just saying sayonara to the league yeah to be that secure about anything eh just so sure no when i retire from this game i'm definitely doing a press conference get demoted do a press conference like blake wheeler let's see if anybody does that i'm gonna i'm gonna do a, i'm gonna do a big press conference about the uh my favorite first round exit that i covered <laughs> it could work it could work for thanks for bringing the uh Ateshian standards we'll call it because Helbuckian standards uh, was pretty good <laughs> there too uh enjoy the season we'll talk to you i'm sure a couple times throughout the year so we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks for having me thanks so much guys Murat Atesh, who uh, covers the Winnipeg Jets. Looking to turn things around with a new head coach behind the bench. Rapid fire coming up after the break. All right, boys, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. The name indicates exactly what it is. We go through these topics pretty quick and get the opinions on some of the quicker stories we didn't get to in uh, segment number one. Let's start with the vaccine mandate lifted in Canada for the start of the NHL season, when I came back uh, from my trip, we kept being told we had to download the Arrive Can app because they were going to ask us about it. They didn't ask us about it. So they got a head start on not doing any of the mandate. Travelers now no longer required to show proof of vaccination against COVID-19 or wear face masks. Does this really affect too much, do you guys think, as far as the NHL season goes? Russo, we'll start with you. Yeah, not in the NHL, other than uh, hopefully that does mean the elimination of the Arrive Cat Can app, because I can't stand filling <laughs> that thing out. I never can understand, like, like you know, they have that area there that, ex- that like, you have to say what your purpose is, and nothing, there's not one of their 25 categories that, like, essentially means a uh, sports writer coming in to cover the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just always scared <laughs> that you're going to press the wrong button in there. So, uh, you know, and oh, sorry, you can't come in. The other thing I will say that I found so strange was the face mask policy. It's like you you needed it just at the airport, but if you leave baggage claim, you don't need it. And there yeah. was like certain like you only had to wear it at security. It was just strange. Yeah, I, I agree with Michael. Selfishly, it's going to make our our job of getting into Canada a lot easier. I, my favorite part of going into Canada is that when you go up to customs, they're like kind of skeptical, like, you know, how the, the guards always are. And then they're like, OK, what, what's your business here? And you're like. Well, I cover the hockey team. And the moment you say the word hockey, their face lights up and they're like, welcome to Canada. Come right <laughs> in. I love it. I love it. <laughs> my favorite part of the Arrive Can app was I had to fill out what the occupation was for my five-month-old daughter. <laughs> I haven't put her to work just yet, guys. It's like, occupation? I'm like, what the hell are you kidding me? Anyway, so yes, that's not going to change too much except for people like us. We got to travel. Uh, rapid fire topic number two: Spencer Knight signed that extension with the Florida Panthers, three years, four point five million dollars. It kicks in at the start of the twenty-two, excuse me, twenty twenty-three, twenty-four season. Um, kind of gambling a bit here. We haven't seen a lot of Spencer Knight gambling that he's going to be a good goaltender, isn't it? This is kind of what we talked about in the first segment. 
with the cap. And sometimes you just got to roll the dice on someone. Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, that is a lot of money in that position yeah. when you look at Sergey Bobrovsky's contract combined with that one. Uh, it's, But they've, they've got their secession plan pretty much set. I mean, this is a league where goaltending most teams, even if you've got one good guy that you that you know you've got, uh, the, what happens after him is usually a question. You don't see many teams. Nashville has been able to, to do it really well, transitioning from one to the other, and they've already got their next one lined up. Um, if you're Florida, you feel good in net for the next foreseeable future as long as they can pretty much see out right now. Uh, I think Spencer Knight's going to be great. I agree it is a risk uh, giving him this money before you really see much and before he's ever been the guy because he's always kind of just coming in relief. But uh, they, they've got to feel good at, the, at that spot. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting there. I mean, devoting so much, investing so much money in their goaltending position, knowing that Bob's there signed for a long, long time as well and how they're going to handle this. For a team that's going to be at the cap for a long time that doesn't have a ton of draft picks anymore, uh, you know, because they've, they've uh, sent so many out the door. But look, I like the way that they're developing this kid. I love that they've sent him back to the minors last year to play some games when Bob really caught fire there. And I, I think it's a good risk for a really, really good young goaltender. Uh, we touched on Buffalo earlier. General Manager Kevin Adams signing a multi-year extension with the team. Um, in his time as uh, GM of the Sabres, he's changed coaches. Uh, he's traded the captain and Jack Eichel. Uh, but this seems like a vote of confidence from the Buffalo Sabres. Your thoughts on this one? We'll start with you, Russell. Well, I, um, I'm a big Kevin Adams guy. I covered him in Florida. This guy, I could talk about Kevin Adams for about a month because I know so many stories about him down there. I mean, he was traded for Ray Whitney, which was a fan favorite down there, uh, coming down uh, uh, to Florida. And then he was traded, if I remember, with Brett Hedekin and a prospect for Sandus Ozelinch. And the Panthers get Ozelinch. Next year, he's in the All-Star game. Ozelinch gets traded while we're in Detroit before he's captaining the All-Star game. And then... He the Panthers decide, all right, well, the, they're hosting the All-Star game. We'll give him a ride back to Florida, even though we just technically traded him to Anaheim, gets on the team plane, falls off the plane when they land in Fort Lauderdale, busts his face open. And if you remember, he didn't play in the skills competition because he had his face was an absolute mess. And then uh, so that was I, I know that's now talking about Sandus Oslinch, but not Kevin Adams. But there you go. Still a great There's my uh, Sandus Oslinch. I was yeah, going to say oh, a good I, story I, is a good story. I got to find my actual article that I wrote back then. <laughs> um, but Kevin Adams, I remember covering him and he was the most affable player to talk to. Like, you know, there's certain players that you cover in a locker room and they're just always the friendliest person to go hang out at their stall at. And Kevin was one of those guys when I covered him in Florida. And he's still that guy as a GM. So I'm just I'm super excited for um, for him and the way that he's worked up in the organization in a very odd way. I mean, he's basically doing business there and things like that. Next thing you know, he's, you know, takes over Potterill as the GM. Uh, kind of strange. But look, uh, you know, they, they obviously believe in him. He's following what he thinks is the plan. And they've uh, begun this rebuild there in uh, Buffalo. Yeah, he seen, they seem to be going in the right direction in Buffalo. I mean, the, you lose Eichel, a, a generational player, the guy that was supposed to bring you to the promised land. And it seems like that could be doomsday. But you look at the way they finished last season. Um, Alex Tuck is a phenomenal player. He, being from that area, I think helps a lot. The local fans absolutely love him. Peyton Krebs showed a little bit. I think things are looking up in Buffalo, considering where they were a year ago when they were still when when they were dealing with the Eichel neck surgery. Things look like they could be so ugly. They still aren't close to competing, but it does seem like they're going the right direction. I like what Adams has done. And finally, um, in this fifth topic or fourth topic, excuse me, you guys probably don't give a shit about it because you're both uh, south of the border. But it is the 50th anniversary of the Summit Series between Canada and the Soviet Union. I don't know if you care about this. Being that I live in Canada, we hear about this approximately every 10 minutes. Uh, and it's the 50th anniversary. So think about that. So allow me to rant just for, for a second. Um, you know, I look back at that series. And again, this is... If you look at any list, you Google greatest Canadian sports moments. This is top three all the time. Paul Henderson scoring this goal. Uh, I am of the belief that this series was important for maybe different reasons. It, it opened the eyes to the world that there, there's a different way to play hockey and that other countries can play this game and play this game well. And you don't need to go up and down the wings. You can be creative and everything else. But after 50 years of hearing about this exhibition tournament, I'm one of those guys that's like, okay, enough. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> It was an exhibition tournament that the Canadian team didn't want to go. It was just basically to make money. 
It, they said the, the Russians weren't even going to score a goal. Why are we wasting our time? They went through the skin of their teeth. And every five years, we got to erect a new statue to Paul Henderson. No disrespect to Paul Henderson, but for crying out loud, I can't hear about this damn Summit Series anymore. And I know there are people who are probably listening who maybe watched that series and said, you're insane. It was important. I'm not saying it wasn't important, but... Are we still talking about an exhibition series? Do you guys, am I the only one ranting here? Do you guys have an opinion on the Summit Series? <laughs> Not really. I, I, isn't Paul Henderson like in government now? Like what's he do now in Canada? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. I know he had some health problems. Uh, I'm not sure. He, okay. he did. He, he was doing some, some of that as well. Uh, and I, there's always a strong, strong group of people who believe he's a Hockey Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think we should put people in the Hockey Hall of Fame because they had a great exhibition series. What's next? Someone has like three good all-star games. We're going to put them in the Hall of Fame. I just don't. I don't believe he's. You look at his his career as, in the NHL. He's a fine player, but that's not the hall. It's not the Hockey Hall of Fame for fine players. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's. We hear about this a lot. It was 1972. Jesse's laughing at me right now. Yeah. One of those times where my Canadian is showing. <laughs> funny hearing you say that because like my only experience with this series is that like, so I play this hockey rink run by this guy from Montreal named Dan Corsetia. And he's, he's an old guy from Canada and he is obsessed with that yeah. series. Like, no matter what happens, like we'll, we'll play a men's league game and I'll be talking to him after. And no matter what you talk about, he will relate it back to that series. Oh, that reminds me of this goal that was scored in the summit series. <laughs> oh, this speech that was given in the locker room. And he, he's told me it so many times. He absolutely is obsessed with the series. So I can imagine most people up in Canada are that same way like of that age like the the older the, the generation that saw that and that, that experienced it obviously i'm way too young and i'm not canadian so that it just when you were saying that i was like man it sounds just like dan from the rink <laughs> no but i mean i'm the guy who's like, like okay we get it like and i understand cold the cold war aspects i understand all of that people are always trying to convince me but after 50 years i'm kind of like it, it was an exhibition tournament guys in the summer like i just okay cool <laughs> Wow, he's so I'm reading up on him here. He's twice been inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame. That's how legendary he yeah. is up there because of this series. And uh, he's in the International Ice Hockey Federation Hall of Fame, but not the Hockey Hall of Fame. So um, I'm perfectly fine letting um, the Canadian uh, rip on this series and keeping the Americans out of this. <laughs> um, you know, this way we don't, we've already created enough controversy by talking about Ozlunch falling off an airplane. <laughs> um, I'll let you just. Uh, I'll let you. It's not uh, that I don't want to. Again, it had a lot of. I've watched all of those games more than once. That's how ridiculous it is. But and they're entertaining. But all right, I'm, we're at the 50th anniversary. Good for the Summit Series, and that's a good way to wrap up the show. It's getting me all hot and bothered right now, uh, guys. What are we working on this week, Jesse? We'll start with you. Yeah, I, I actually I'll talk about the one that just came out this morning. Pretty. It's uh, on the fun. Summit series, isn't it? A, a ten part series on the Summit. Been working on it for fifty years. Um, no, I, I. So since camp started, so it was about, it's been a week long project. I decided to write about how a coach installs a new system. Bruce Cassidy is the most open coach I've ever spoken to in terms of talking about the the nitty gritty details, the minutia of what he's installing, what he's doing, how he's doing it. And it was just really eye-opening for me. Um, we talk all the time about new coaches coming in and installing new systems. So I went detail by detail, exactly to the minute, every film session, every ice, everything on the ice, how this team is installing a new system um, that's quite a bit different from the one they run under. They ran under Pete DeBoer. So uh, obviously, Golden Knights fans will like that. But I think if you, if you like hockey and you want to know how a, a new coach comes in and installs a system, um, it was really fun for me to write. Yeah, the thing I was going to promote was uh, the goalie tandem tiers that was supposed to run on Tuesday, October 4th, um, that I'm doing with uh, Joe Smith, Sean Shapiro, and Corey Promen, but we've actually just pushed the publication date Why? Back. Why? But, um, I, you know, my guess is that, that <laughs> Joe Smith's in a hurricane, and I think Corey Promen, doesn't he live in Florida too, but on the other side? Uh, so that might have something to do with it. Um, I, I guess my joke didn't go over well that he should, during the eye of the hurricane, put it his tabulations today. So uh, apparently I just got it pushed back. Um, I'm doing a couple of really cool wild features. Tyson Joe scored a couple um, ex, uh, goals last night in Denver. You know, payback for not being part of the cup championship. I think that you think that made up for it. You think that made up for the him, him having to watch 
the Avalanche parade around a Stanley Cup after being there for years and traded like two months earlier? I don't think so. So no. that'll be that story. I find it. I find it. There's again my dark sense of humor. I'm gonna have some fun with that story. Um, working on a really, really, really cool uh, Jake Middleton feature. I mean, I sat down with him for lunch right before training camp. Um, he is the most colorful athlete, one of the most colorful athletes that I've ever covered. The color and the the anecdotes I picked up from him, his family, uh, people on the San Jose Sharks as well. Uh, this story is going to be pretty pretty cool and and hopefully transcend just Minnesota and uh, people around the league. Um, you know, fans around the league can read about a guy that, you know, just a couple of years ago was laying brick to make money. And now he's a millionaire, uh, you know, on the one of the top defense pairs for the Minnesota Wild. All right, boys. And then after that, your Summit Series piece. Thanks for doing this. I want to remind everybody who's uh, listening, do us a favor. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave a rating and a review, we'll like you even more. Uh, you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic. For just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. Then on Friday, you got Sean Gentili and Haley Salvian with the new Friday Athletic Hockey Show. For Russo and Granger, I'm Rob Pizzo. We'll see you next week.